Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Good afternoon, Agsa Yatanga Yuandi. We stand on Ghana land and we honour the ancestors of the Ghana people of the past, the present and the future. I also want to acknowledge all Indigenous people across the country and beyond. So, and that's a really interesting point to start. Three, one in three of the artists in this exhibition, the Ramsey Prize 2019, were born elsewhere, were born in another country. And I, um, more than 50% are women. And uh, quite a few from South Australia, a couple from South Australia, and uh, three indigenous artists. And I think that's, um, or Aboriginal artists. So I think it's a really interesting snapshot of where Australia is now. I want to welcome uh, someone who's not normally in the limelight, and someone who should be, and this is Erin Davidson, who's my partner in crime today. And Erin is amazing. Erin is behind the scenes and she's project manager working on the Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art and also on the Ramsey Art Prize. So you have the best job in the gallery, really, working on the two best shows, except we actually lure her into working on everything else. So <laughs> she's amazing. and. Um, uh, one of the artists said to me, I've never worked with anybody, this is a very young artist, she's 25, and she said, I've never worked with anybody like Erin before. She texted me to tell me that the press were there to interview me. She said, it's like having a personal assistant. And I said, and she's doing it for 23 artists. So um, it's, and for a lot of these artists, they've never been, they've never shown in a museum before. They've never had this level of support and there's a, a, understandably nervousness about that and also um, it's a journey for them so it's much about learning from each other as well. Uh, one of the things that really impressed me having been involved with every Ramsey Art Prize in its entire history, i.e. two, <laughs> um, is the level and the sense of camaraderie and support from the artists. And right at this very spot, uh, last Friday, when Vincent Namajira was announced as the winner for the Ramsey Art Prize 2019, um, and then he came and he gave a very beautiful speech um, that he'd prepared, and just in case, as I'm sure many of them had, um, there was tears, not only from our staff, but also from the other artists. And there was a hoot um, of support that uh, actually came out before he gave his speech. And I think there was a great sense that he was a most deserving winner. And to see that level of support from the artists themselves and to see what was going on between the artists and amongst the artists, I thought was, um, was really wonderful to see. Um, in fact, what the artists don't know this time and didn't happen last time, but will happen next time, is actually the Ramsey Foundation said, we should actually bring everybody here. So even though 17 came this time, next Ramsey Prize, we will also fund for all of the artists to come and, uh, and be here and experience um, those few days. And I think that, and that came from the Ramsey Foundation, not from us, even though we were thinking the same thing. So I thought that was really tremendous. So, um, and the other thing to say about 
the lovely Erin, is um, I worked with her two years ago because two years ago I was a Ramsey Prize, I was the international judge um, in my position as director of Auckland Art Gallery Toyo Tamaki. And when um, Nick Mizovich invited me to be a, a judge along with Lee, um, Rob and um, Nell, the artist Nell, and I think that's a really great system to have an external international, an artist and an internal curator. I think that's a really great way to do it. And when I was asked, I said, sounds fantastic. At that point, I was sort of 11 years outside of Australia, even though I come back all the time. And I thought, wow, what a fantastic way to get an incredible snapshot of what's going on with contemporary Australian art. And that's exactly what happened with Russell Storer, who's Australian. He's been living in Singapore for five years um, as head of research and curatorial uh, at the, the National Gallery of Singapore. And he said exactly the same thing. What a fantastic opportunity. Because you're not looking at 23 artists, which is what you see after the distillation, negotiation, uh, um, judging and discussion process, a very discursive process. What you see as a judge is over 300, the works of over 300 artists. And this is a process, this is a, a prize. It takes, it, it, the judges take very seriously. So my husband couldn't believe, are you still doing that Ramsey stuff? So day after day after day, because a lot of people are doing moving image, a lot of people are doing performance, there's a lot of text, there's a lot of images. Of course, there's websites, there's portfolios, there's so much information around now. And you have to do your job properly. And what might appear on one level is not very interesting after you do some work and find out um, just what's possible. And it was Erin that sent me all of those links, all of those websites, all of that material. So um, we had a, a strong bond we, well, way before I stepped foot <laughs> in, um, in the gallery as director. So um, I thought what we're going to do is we're going to tag team because Erin knows this, this project backwards. Um, and I've been a judge for a number of art prizes over, over the years. Um, and, and what we thought we'd do, there's a lot of us, so it might be a bit tricky to do what we were going to do. Yep. So I'll, I'll just say, we're, going, we're going, just going to go back and forth and ask each other questions. Um, and also I thought we would hone in, rather than trying to cover everything in the show, because there's 23 artists, is hone in on maybe one work per room and just sort of try and go deep into those artist practices, one in each room. Um, and uh, this is the room where there's most space. So it, so what do you think? Do you, it's, there's a lot of us, so maybe we do stay here rather than try and, try and move around. Public programs are going, please stay, <laughs> don't move. How many of you have seen all of the works in the exhibition? That might be a good indicator. Most of you have. Okay, yeah, good. So yeah. you've got a good idea of what okay. we're going to be talking about. Okay, okay. most have. Yeah, I think okay. it's going to be particularly, yeah. you know, um, Gallery For 7. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, alrighty. Um, one of the things um, to talk about prizes, and maybe to talk to, oh, firstly, who saw um, Ramsey Prize, Ramsey Art Prize 2017? Most oh, of you wow. did. It's a really different show, isn't it? 
It feels very different to last time. What I loved, no. You, Oh, okay. Fair enough. I thought you were disagreeing. <laughs> so, um, uh, one of the things, uh, we had a contemporary collectors event um, and Lippmann Karras event the other night, and I asked everybody, okay, who's going to win and who's going to be the people's choice? No one picked the winner at all, which was really fascinating. Um, and we'll see what happens with the people's choice. I hope you're all going to vote. Um, it's, uh, as you know, it's a $100,000 prize. And uh, which is as generous um, as any prize in the country. So it's on a par with the most generous in the country. But what makes this prize unique is it's under 40. So it's absolutely concentrating on younger artists. And something we were thinking about over drinks at the Exeter after the opening with the artists is um, for so many of these artists, they're at a time, they've just had, in one case, twins. Um, another artist, it was their first outing after their baby had been born. Um, there was a love affair at the last, between artists, at the last Ramsey Art Prize. Um, artists in that kind of 25, and this is Pierre McCubey, um, McCubey is, who is 24, just turned 24. Um, Lena's 25. And then the most senior artist is about 39 or has just turned 40. So this is a really pivotal time in their lives. They've made their commitment to be an artist. They're falling in love. They're starting families. They're struggling with money. But they are absolutely committed to their art. So if ever there was a time when a prize is going, $100,000 is going to make a difference, I expect it's around that time. And we talked about this with... Um, Richard Lua, who was the terrific um, artist who was one of the judges this time, along with Russell Storer and, um, and Lisa Slade. And he talked about the fact that he had won the Basil Sellers Prize, again 100,000, and it completely changed his life. It allowed, he was, he was in his early 40s, it allowed him to build a studio that he's still working in to this day. And that at, he said, that was the watershed for me in terms of my practice. And so, um, and I also talked to him about it and saying, why is it, do you think, that the public loves an art prize and artists hate them unless they win? So, and that's what he said. He said, look, it's, but he was very conscious of that and was very happy to become one of the judges. The other thing about Richard is that, as Lisa Slater said, he is one of the most generous artists that she's ever met in terms of his mentoring of younger artists. He visits five to eight studios a week, every week, talking to artists, listening to artists. And he said the one question that um, he can't answer is, how do I become really successful right now? He said, that one I can't answer. But um, I really don't know another artist who spends that kind of time on younger artists. And that was one of the things that he loved about working on this project. So I'm going to speak a little bit about how the project came about. Um, the Ramsey, many of you know, um, or have known, uh, Diana and before that, uh, James, James and Diana Ramsey. And they s discussed this idea of a prize, something that would be really 
life-changing for younger artists for a number of years. Can you talk about that, Erin, yeah. how it came to be? Yeah. So it was um, back when uh, Nick was around as director. Um, so early, I think late 2015, early 2016, and they'd talked with um, Kerry and the foundation and Diana herself. And they've been passionate uh, supporters of the arts and particularly in South Australia for a really long time, many, many years and giving millions of dollars to uh, not just us but other areas of the arts. Um, we're lucky because they also support uh, Start and our studio here. So they've always had this focus on the younger artists and the younger audiences. And I think it was um, James's nephew Hugh, who unfortunately died um, quite young, before 40, and so there was always this, he's a painter, we actually have his work in the collection, and I think it was just, um, it was born from all of those elements together, and uh, we were looking for a prize, and I think the, the beautiful thing is it's, it's become a bit of a, a Ramsey family, and I certainly felt that last week, and, and in 2017 as well, so we've, we've become a, a bigger family and we're going to grow and it's just such a lovely experience to be a part of and the foundation, the James and Diana Ramsey Foundation are just so involved and so passionate. Um, they're a small team and they just um, are very, very involved and want to meet the artists and finalists and support them in any way they can. And like Rana said, you know, with Richard Luer and, and winning uh, a prize as significant as 100,000, studio spaces is a, a really big thing. Um, and Sarah Contos spoke about that and that was a, a huge life changer for her as well. So it'll be very interesting to see what Vincent does next. Um, but I think the, the most important thing that we share with the, the foundation is that every artist, every finalist that will ever be in a Ramsey is a winner in our eyes. And uh, to be on the walls and for us to be able to share them with you and, and larger audiences digitally is just so very special. Um, and just mentioning, as we said, there's the $100,000 for the winner and then the people's choice is 15000 which is, again, a really sizable amount. The other aspect that makes this very interesting, I think, and really well thought through, is the fact that it's acquisitive, which means that, as I said the other day, it's win-win. The artist gets 100 grand and we get the work. Um, and, uh, and with the case of Sarah Contos outside, it was the basis, again, as Lisa Slater said, it's an it's a, um, exhibition engine. The whole idea of this with these major acquisitions that they become really pivotal works within the collection. We also bought the Julie Fragar, which was the People's Choice last year, and uh, well, two years ago. And I have to say, the Vincent Namajira, he's the only artist that was hung last time in the Ramsey Prize. And you might remember his hilarious paintings of Australia's richest, which were... Um, where Sarah Waters' work was along there, and they they packed a punch two years ago, and he packs a punch this year. So um, that was really great to see as well. Um, so tell you tell me why do you why do you think people are so interested in prizes? Obviously, the whole. Archibald is on at the t same time, which is great. Um, interesting to see that sort of scathing review from John McDonald about it <laughs> on the weekend. Um, and of course, there's the Win, the Sulman, and the and the Archibald, uh, and that is like a wildly that actually. Uh, 
you know, behind the scenes, that actually funds the whole exhibitions program um, at the at the um, Art Gallery of New South Wales because every artist has to pay a significant fee to enter, and it's um, it it it's a, and of course it's a ticketed show, so it's an incredible revenue generator for the um, for the gallery. Why do you think prizes, I mean, this is very different, it's completely open in terms of media or subject or genre, which gives it a lot more freedom. In fact, one of the artists said that she'd been writing every year to David Walsh at Mona in Tassie, asking him to have an art prize for, for art, young artists. And interesting that it was us that did it, but because it's so open. But I, you know, my question to you is, why are you interested in art prizes? What, what do you, why do you think you know the Archibald is particular because it's portraits? But yeah, yeah. Um, quite often we associate prizes with balls. Yes. That's why they prizes very significantly, and these artists are basically not out of the way as media providers of prizes. Yeah. 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 Very good. We might quote you on that one. <laughs> so. Um, and it's very true. You realise, of course, and I love this, that um, more people go to museums in Australia than go to wineries. Um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, wineries, something else, and sports events. So, isn't that great? <laughs> so, um, so uh, you know, people are very interested in what's going on, but but are they given that attention? I also find, you know, people always are, are horrified at the idea of a, art as elitist, whereas as soon as you talk about sports, everyone talks about elite sports people. Well, these are the elite artists under, under 40. And it's a word I think we should reclaim. You know, there's nothing wrong with elite if it means extremely good and a very small, um, um, small number has attained that. Why else do you think prizes are... I, I can jump in too. Yep. Just, I think, having worked with a lot of them, what they talk about is having their work shown in front of judges like Rana and Lisa and Richard Luer and Russell Storer and having that opportunity to be able to share it, and, and especially online, but be able to, to put themselves in front of people like yourself. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So... Um, uh, what I'm holding up here is what's online, so every artist has got a page and information and all of the artists from 2017 as well. So, and that will accumulate, we don't do publications, but that will accumulate over time. So, I thought we'd leap into it. Yeah. Um, and we are going to talk about Vincent in this room, yeah. but I can't not talk about three other works actually. <laughs> I'm kind of... We set the rules and we break we them, did. don't we? we? Yeah. Um, and so this is uh, Pierre, which I think we're standing here. It's a stunning work. So the youngest artist uh, by two years in the exhibition. He's only either just turned 24 or, or, or still 23. Yeah. Uh, he came here in 2006 uh, from the Congo. And he initially, he really, Paul Greenaway signed him up very quickly and he caused quite a sensation at the Melbourne Art Fair a couple of years ago, um, which it was the sensation of the, of the art was, fair. Yep, yep. Um, I've just come back from Venice and from a, an amazing uh, trip looking at artwork, particularly in America and Europe, and there's no question there's a tremendous presence of African-American art everywhere at the moment. Uh, and, and 
it's, it's fascinating to see how this younger generation are tackling um, issues and ideas. What is really beautiful about Pierre is that he's actually, his mother's really not well at the moment. He's living back at home and he's literally in a tiny bedroom and he, these works are rolled up and folded and he stitches one piece at a time, then rolls it out again and then rolls it up again. So he, he does not have a space. The first time he sees these works is when he takes them rolled up to Paul Greenaway and Paul lays them out and then they go up the top and look down and he sees the work for the first time. So it's an incredible mind that can work in this way. And of course, originally, um, he was working with used bed sheets. So do you want to yeah. talk more about Yeah, that? Pierre's fabulous and I hope you all get to meet him soon. We're hoping he might pop in for a lunchtime talk, so stay tuned. Um, he, like Rana said, he's quite young and self-taught, which I think is absolutely incredible. And being able to work on this scale um, within those constraints of a, a small bedroom. Um, the fabric, we had a, a chat with some of the guides this morning, so the fabric does come from his home. Um, his mum often um, contacts other family members and, and sends it back or family bring it back over on trips. Um, and he, he talks about the people in the work, so he often will um, have portraits, but they're not necessarily people he knows. It could be their mind from images um, from media, but also faces that he does remember but might not necessarily know the people. But um, Pierre's a, a superstar and definitely on the rise. I had a lot of the collectors on Thursday night recognise that they'd seen him at the Melbourne Art Fair. So that's very exciting. And he's local and, yeah, we're thrilled to be able to, to share him in this space as well. And uh, something I'm so impressed about with him is, like, how does he know where to stop? You know, it's incredible. I mean, it's stitch, there's collage, there's drawing but then he pulls away. He just puts enough marks on, on the work to tell the story and then he pulls away. So I think it takes, as opposed to um, the fabulous Taryn Gill, who will never end. <laughs> you know, it's very interesting. They're both absolutely perfect in their own way, but, but it's, I think it takes tremendous bravery and confidence to be able to, to know when to stop. Um, I'd also like to talk about Eric Bridgman here. I mean, I think you know Taryn Gill's work quite well. Um, and um, Eric Bridgman, Bridgman is someone, I saw his photographs quite a few years ago, and they're really tremendous photographs um, of, of tribal. He, he's, he grew up in Papua New Guinea and Queensland. And this is a particularly interesting series because he went back to... Um, uh, his, his community, so it's an area called Gujip in the Jiwaka province with his uncles and cousins from the Yuri Alaku clan and led by a particular senior village leader and he was working there with these shields or um, they're called Kuman. So can you talk more yeah, about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, Eric's currently, Eric was a quiet for a little while there. I think he was busy and spending a lot of time in Papua New Guinea. He, he went up two years ago, so he's actually now spending a lot of time in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. 
Um, he's on at the National at the moment at Carriage Works with a beautiful, uh, massive installation. It's almost as big as this wall of um, shields and, and painted works as well. And what's exciting, so this, um, like many of the works, they're invited to be new works or works that have been made in the last 12 months. So this was from um, a show at Gallery Smith, his gallerist uh, last year. And there was actually 20 of them. But what's beautiful that we were able to do is uh, hang them as they were intended. Unfortunately, at the Gallery Smith and Light Runner said and Lisa this morning, often artists um, don't have the space to look at the work or show it in a certain way that they've intended. So um, Eric was very keen to have them ceiling hung. And they're hung so low because they are shields and he wanted them to feel, so where you stand, those that are a bit taller than me, um, it is like a shield and you're behind it. And what Eric does is so he's the, the power and the potency behind the shield he's actually then riffing on his other love which is rugby league so the colors and the symbols on the other side the reverse side facing the door um, are drawn from rugby league culture and he's very passionate about that and then on this side of the the um, the pigeon language which um, on the label you can see which they refer to but it was from a series of 20 and and we had five so it's it's a, a beautiful beautiful work and very tough to go from the the 20 to the it five is, yeah um, but the uh, I'm also you, some of you might have seen you know terrific um, Papua New Guinea works from an artist called Kaibal Ka, who was in the very first Asia Pacific Triennial back in 93 with these amazing shields um, taking from popular culture. And in the same way, Pierre, he first started making, you know, manga, like cartoons and, um, and cartoon characters and comic books. And very similarly, the history of these, um, how the shields have been uh, renegotiated in Papua New Guinean artists by somebody like Kaibal Ka, particularly his use of the Phantom which was a kind of a folkloric cartoon character that it was really loved in Papua New Guinea. Um, and these are really as astonishing shields. So we might then, um, thinking about the, about this work, You'd be really yeah. talking yeah. about Rai's work, yeah. Rai is uh, currently in Denmark on a residency. He was going to throw it all in and come come back, but um, he stuck it out and he's got a, a great exhibition over there. And I think something that's interesting, because um, Rana, Lisa and Lee Rob were all away during our install, they came back fresh from Venice and um, they, they noticed that materially things in our exhibition were very much what was happening overseas as well. Um, Rai wanted, like he studied uh, new media and wanted to focus on new media and uh, video art back in the early 2000s and then quickly shun it and um, went back to painting and now works in tapestry. And so, but he's still bringing in elements from um, new media and technology. So it, you have to be in a, a bit of a sweet spot, give it a little bit of distance. But in one panel, there is a girl on a train who is... Checking um, her phone. Yeah, on her phone. As all girls on trains do. <laughs> very busy, very busy. And then on the left panel, it's um, almost surveillance footage from um, what looks like could be a, a riot or some sort of altercation happening or a protest. And so he combines the, for want of a better word, not the lo-fi, but um, the more traditional elements of tapestry, uh, which he hand, hand does, and he does a lot of them in the United States, um, with the, you know, the 
ideas around what's happening today and, and very much capturing contemporary life. The off-centre, everyone tried to make me fix it, but that's exactly how he wanted the electro-illuminescent wire that runs across it. And I'd never heard of an electro-illuminescent wire, but it, uh, for Rye, it is um, representative of transmitting data. So when you get up close, even though you, you step back to see the bigger picture, you head in close, the light looks like it's transmitting data, which is a beautiful element. It's got a very soft hum to it too. So it's, it's pulling you in and dragging you out, and it's a, it's a stunning work. And also, of course, he's making that parallel uh, between tapestry and digital media, which is, which is um, you know, parallels are incredibly, uh, incredibly strong in terms of the coding associated uh, with it. And, and I think this accumulation of, of contemporary, contemporary imagery, his falling out of love with the potential of digital media mainly because its lack of, of, um, of sustainability uh, into the future and his moving to an age-old, a very ancient materiality of tapestry. It was very interesting and of course with Sarah Walter's work and seeing a lot of work um, and I, I got to see an amazing um, project at the Shed by Gerhard Richter, uh, this, the composer Arvo Part and the composer Steve Reich. Uh, which was astonishing, and that involved about seven tapestries about that same size uh, from Gerhard Richter. So it's, it's something a lot of artists are actually working with tapestry now. It's very, very interesting, and you'll see that in the next show with the amazing William Kentridge exhibition. There's a stunning tapestry in that work as well. And this is not something that's, you know, it hasn't been around for very long. This is very much thinking about the ceramics here, the use of concrete. Concrete is very hot right now, I can tell you. And here, um, obviously, with um, the, the concrete um, in this piece as well, looking at garden design, in fact. This is concrete, hand-painted hand photographs, uh, hand-painted paintings based on photographs and concrete and echoing a particular garden in Singapore. Hmm. Um, so Jess Bradford's one of the younger artists as well and had only ever shown this work, um, an image of a tiger in an Ari in Melbourne. So she had the space on her own. So coming in and seeing it for the first time like this lit completely differently was mind-blowing for her. And one of the things that I love working on the prize is that um, a bit different to the biennial, which I also get to work on, but um, we work closely with installers and the younger artists get to learn from installers and from us and that's the beauty of being shown in a, a state institution like this. But um, Jess is Chinese-Singaporean background and uh, lives now in Sydney. And Hawpah Villa, which um, was a, a garden, if you like, um, created and funded by the people that made Tiger Balm in Singapore. So uh, she would go there a lot as a child. And so what she's done is replicate the dioramas that were um, throughout the park there. And I asked her about the tabletop. I wondered if it was like a, a map of the area, but she said it was more representative of the pathways that you would wander and um, organic. And it's very particular how she places the objects. Um, it's different every time. Um, but have a look at the paintings because they're absolutely exquisite. And um, she's working across many different materials, but um, very exciting and very personal work. And I think that's something that uh, for this prize and the last one, and I think 
for Rana, you um, and Nell and Lee spoke about it a lot, but being able to feel the artist in the work. And I think that's something that if you spend time with these, you can definitely feel the artists in each work. But you're starting to get this kind of zeitgeist of contemporary culture. You've got, um, you know, that, the adoration of, of um, sport. There's metaphysics with Taryn Gill um, and theatricality, uh, street culture and urban life with Pierre. And um, then with Rye, thinking about a critique about um, contemporary media, uh, digital media, and, uh, and the quality of materiality. So thinking about materiality, we can't not talk about the giraffe. <laughs> so um, you've all seen the giraffe in the other room uh, by Julia DeVille. Um, it's an astonishing work. We're not going to squeeze into that, that room because it's about a third of this size. Um, I first, I was actually quite surprised she's under 40 because I worked with Julia in 2005 in my first exhibition in New Zealand called Uncanny the Unnaturally Strange. And in that exhibition I had David Noonan, I had Nell, I had Lisa Ray Hanna, um, uh, Fiona Hall with her, um, uh, her pieces of, of the nests. Um, and, uh, and also Julia. And I had a wonderful occurrence with her because she was a very young artist at a time, taxidermist and jeweler, unusual combo, but not impossible. Uh, and uh, she, I didn't know, but she was a New Zealander. So she said, yep, that's a, that'd be great. I can come hang out with my dad, that's all fine. But she said, I've got a problem with the, because there was little mice with articulated tails and rubies for eyes, and there was some beautiful pieces, all wearable in this, in this instance. She hadn't done a lot of work. She'd only just started working with deceased kittens at that point, so she it was quite early. She was mainly working from a jewellery tradition. She said, look, if we send it, if we post it, um, they'll irradiate it, and it'll change the colour of some of the synthetic gems and I and we said we don't want that she said you know what's easier just buy me a ticket I'll wear everything and and I'll it'll be it'll happen so that's what she did so she went through she went through customs with about 17 pieces of jewelry on they just thought she was some kind of like goth um, little knowing that it was all gold silver rubies diamonds etc and then she went came straight to um, art space took everything off, put them in this gorgeous 18th century cabinet that we'd borrowed, and there was the show. And then we flew her over at the end and we did the same. So um, it worked very well. She's in the process of, um, of packing up her entire studio, which is about 15 huge ice chests where she keeps the, the animals that um, she's taxiderming. So the story is really quite beautiful with the, the giraffe. So 35 years ago, that little baby giraffe had passed away. It did. It died of natural causes uh, at the Adelaide Zoo. So it's got a lovely connection back to the city here. And uh, for many, many years, she tried to, Seven in fact, tried to purchase it from the Queen Victoria Museum in Tasmania in Launceston. And for many years, they just kept saying no and wouldn't sell it to her. It was just in a freezer down there. And then finally, she um, got through. She spent a lot of time in Tassie. Um, that's where she did a lot of taxidermy in the early, early days of her career. And um, so she'd been working on this particular work and a whole body of work that was shown at Linden last year, um, most ambitious to date, and an exhibition that she talks about nearly, nearly ended it all for her. It was quite um, strenuous for her and personal, deeply, deeply personal. 
And um, you might recognise the case is by Kate Road, so from the 2016 Magic Object Biennial. And so she had Kate, um, she commissioned Kate to produce the case for the work. And she, I had a question this morning about how the giraffe gets moved into the certain places. And um, this particular process is a little bit different because it had been in the freezer for so long. She had to do it in a little bit of different of a different way to and process. And she actually it. acquired it and then kept it for five years before yeah. she worked out what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. and it's um, a tribute to her mum actually. And there's a beautiful poem in there that I encourage you all to read. But um, so she, she manipulates the, the animal and there's wire and the organs are still partly inside, or the muscle and the bone still in there. So it's a little bit of a different process and she often refers to it as giraffe jerky. So it's got quite a, quite a smell. It's, um, it's absolutely stunning though. And, and we're talking about materials and I've actually got, I'm gonna pass this around, the material list from the show because it's absolutely incredible. Um, and Julia's uh, list alone is just out of this world. So, so should, we, should we read yeah. it out? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. okay, this is the list of materials from the Ramsey Art Prize. 18 karat gold, 18 karat white gold, acrylic, acrylic mirror, acrylic seed beads, acoya pearls, aluminium steel, applique on canvas, baby giraffe, bisque fire porcelain, black rodent plate, bronze, bugle beads, cement oxide, chains, charcoal, Clag, concrete, cotton, crayon, crushed stone, dry pigment, dye cotton tapestry, electroluminescent wire, found painting, freshwater pearls, glass, gold plate, graphite, hammocks, hand-dyed cottons and linens, inkjet papers, um, leather armchairs, liquid pencil, marble, metal brackets, my last breath, oil, oil on board, paper, pastel, pencil, perspex, plant, Pasterboard, plywood, polyurethane, porcelain projection, PVA, resin, rice starch, rose cut black diamonds, 60.67 carats, rose cut diamonds, 6 carat, rubber snakes, scorch school desk, sequins settings from ex-husband's engagement ring, side table, silicon single channel animation, sound steel, sterling silver, synthetic polymer paint, Tasmanian oak, tea, tulle, Tongue-oiled plywood, twine, uncut diamonds, granules, 150 cut, um, various recycled fabrics, video projection, vinyl wallpaper, wire wood, and woolen long stitches. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It says it all, doesn't it? Um, the other aspect uh, project. I'd like to talk about is Tom Friedman's. So Tom in the other room um, with his dipped paintings. So one of the things I love with, about um, um, Hussein Sami's work and Tom is that they're recasting painting. You think you know what painting is. Painting is so not dead. I mean, this is painting. What is painting? Um, so, but what Tom's doing with paint is really phenomenal. Can you talk about that? It is, yeah. So Tom's um, Western Australian, one of the two, so Taryn and Tom, both from WA, and we love WA artists. Um, his is incredible. So every day for five years, he would go to the studio, he'd have these wire sculptures that he would just simply dip in acrylic paint and let them dry. And so it just became about this process for him of dipping every day quite... And the paint was found, so yeah. it was, yeah. Yeah, and, the, and when you see the work, it's a beautiful um, combination of colours. And so he designed the whole installation 
um, including the marble and the marble paintings, and is really interested in the play between 2D and 3D objects and that relationship. And even Nathan Hawke, so it's kind of interesting, and, and Lisa was mentioning this, that um, this process and um, the drawing and the, the making is something that kind of runs through, particularly in those galleries with those artists. And Nathan um, also every day would come home and he had um, a special like false wall that he pulls out um, every day and draws and makes marks. So there's this process-driven works um, that, it's, that runs through as a quite strong theme as well. And of course, Nathan lives um, with his family and a couple of kids. He doesn't have a studio. And he said that is part of the whole beauty about making the works, that this is part of everyday life. So he, his living room becomes his studio. Um, I thought we'd talk about Ramesh, um, Mario Nithyendran, yeah. who's Sri Lankan heritage, uh, in just around the corner here. And um, Ramesh is someone who's worked with painting, with ceramics, with polystyrene, and now he's working in bronze and gold. So what are the references with his work, Erin? Yeah, Ramesh, you guys might remember him from the 2016 Magic Object Biennial as well. So he, being Sri Lankan born, he draws on uh, Hindu and Christianity uh, references and iconography. And he's created this as a, a sort of temple, if you like. What's really interesting, like Rana said, he's working in bronze for the first time, but he's still uses um, really pop culture centric objects to create and cast. So if you look close, it took me ages to find them, but there's- Seashells, yeah. hoses, Hello Kitty yeah. toys, Diamantes nail polish, synthetic wigs and tiger masks, and some instances plated with 24 karat gold. Mm, they're beautiful, it's all there. And he um, often refers to them as his um, deities in drag, which I think is just fun. And Ramesh is such a, a wonderful person and a fantastic artist and, and one to watch as well. So, questions about other works. Are there, um, yes, time. <laughs> oh, we should stop. <laughs> Quarter past. Any questions? Yeah. Good. I wasn't going to, but I thought, yeah, let's. let's. Um, Vincent, okay, I'll say a few words and yeah. then um, yep. hear from Erin. Um, and Vincent uh, Namajira, phenomenal artist, uh, born in Alice Springs. He's um, he's uh, APY Lands artist. Uh, he's, he says he's grandfather, but the yeah. texts say great-grandfather, yeah. Albert Namajira. What I love about the story is, of course, Albert Namajira had an exhibition at the uh, Institute here in Adelaide, 1939, and a work was bought for the Art Gallery South Australia, making the Art Gallery South Australia the first art museum in the country to acquire an artist's work by an Aboriginal person. So there is a beautiful circularity with that. So um, Vincent is a man who lives on country, uh, he works extremely hard. He gave an absolutely fantastic acceptance speech where he thanked his family, of course. And he also said three things. Um, art is a weapon, art changed my life, and art has the power to change the world. It's a pretty amazing statement, isn't it, from such a, um, a hard-working young man. Yeah. 
yeah, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful morning and the response um, to Vincent being announced was um, celebrated by everybody and um, it, was a, it was a beautiful, really beautiful moment. What I like, and I didn't think about this until um, I've been chatting to a few of my colleagues, but he's, he's giving his thumbs up and um, Albert's work are actually on in Gallery 6 at the moment, so it feels like he's very much giving a thumbs up to his great-grandfather, which I love. Um, as Rana said, Vincent was or is the only finalist, repeat finalist from the previous inaugural 2017 Ramsey Art Prize. But what was so different that the judges all spoke about was that he definitely had, this is a pivotal moment for Vincent. He's leapt off the walls and um, both sides, so it's a, a double portrait with him on one side and Captain James Cook on the other. So quite uh, an important time for this work and to enter our collection is very exciting. The Captain Cook reference is from E. Phillips, Phillips Fox, Fox, which yep. I think is in NGBs. Landing, landing yeah. of Captain Cook at Botany Bay, 1770. And of course, all of the... Uh, visual descriptions of the voyages and Cook uh, voyages in particular are only known through artists' hands, of course. This is all pre-photography. So it is artists referring to artists um, in, this, in this instance as well. Um, so uh, this is what's so magical about this work is on one side you have his referencing to another artist uh, thinking about the colonial history but then his self-portraiture is quite different for Vincent and also that tremendous sense of humour and defiance on the other side with his beautiful painting uh, and self-portrait. No, it's beautiful. And I think just commenting for him, what, what he talks about is that, you know, they're in close contact, that's the title of the work, and they are forever bound, um, but so separate and different through culture and, and history and time. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> Thank you.